Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Hey guys, before we jump into the surrender, I want to tell you about Meat Eater Gives. From December 6th through December 13th, 10% of all sale orders over $50 on the Meat Eater store website will be donated to organizations handpicked by the team. The organization that I'm going to donate my portion to is Sportsman's Alliance. These guys are guarding the gate. They're protecting our rights as hunters, and that is often a thankless job, and I want to say thanks to Sportsman's Alliance. So if you use the code CLAY on your Meat Eater store purchase over $50, that money will go to them. Also, you'll be able to see my top 10 picks for gift ideas on the Meat Eater store, which they got all kind of stuff. They got tethered saddles, they got game bags, they got knives, they got t-shirts, and soon we're going to have some Bear Grease merch. That's coming. Check this out. Meat Eater Gifts. Merry Christmas. All right, I just want you guys to know that uh, this is like a little insider info here. Because you guys are a whole new crew, you're going to be heavily scrutinized by the regular render people, okay? So every word you say is going to be evaluated. It's going to be talked about amongst the group. So who's usually on the render is my wife, Misty Newcomb. Sharp as a tack. 
will pin you to the wall if you get a fact wrong. Brent Reeves, witty as they come. He's loud. Daniel Roop. I mean, that guy, you don't want to mess with him. So I'm not trying to uh I'm not trying to scare you. Just trying to tell you, you're gonna be scrutinized because we have a new group. Welcome to the Barry Surrender, guys. Thank you. This so we have a totally new crew. There's this has only happened one other time. So welcome to the Barry Surrender. Man, I, I can't wait to introduce all you guys. So we are in northwest Arkansas in the midst of the worst whitetail deer hunt that probably <laughs> any of us have ever had. It's accurate. <laughs> and um it's been in the mid-70s every day for Arkansas, which is very hot. And we've been hunting. Tomorrow will be our fifth day of hunting. And we've uh, we've killed one doe and one cottontail rabbit. We won't go into the details of who killed these animals. <laughs> but uh, maybe later we will. Now, let me introduce my guest. To my left, Jared Larson of Onyx. Jared. It's an honor to be here, Clay. I'm uh, welcome, man. I, I'm stoked to be on the Bear Grease Render, and uh, I'm excited about talking about the Folsom site. And, yeah. Uh, as tough as the hunting has been this week, me and my cameraman Wyatt Cole were talking when we crawled out of our stand this morning. We've barely seen a deer, and this has been one of the funnest weeks in deer camp, just because of the the camaraderie and uh, and the entertainment value that the boys have brought to camp. Yeah. You know what, Justin and I. It kind of had the same conversation on the way out of the woods after basically seeing nothing today. I just said, man, it sure seems like we've had a good time. Shouldn't we be having a bad time because we have such a bad hunt? It, I mean, Wyatt this morning was like, dude, it's already Thursday. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Which usually doesn't happen when you sit for four days in a row without seeing deer. Yeah, it's tough. So, Jared, what do you... So, so guys, okay, introductions go slow, okay? So, we're going to take our time here. This is important. People are important, Rusty Johnson. Um, Jared, what do you do for Onyx? So I am uh, the whitetail marketing manager, for lack of a better term, at Onyx. Tell us what Onyx is. I mean, most people would know, but there's some that wouldn't. Yep. So uh, Onyx, uh, I work on the Onyx Hunt app team, um, and we build a GPS mapping app that turns your smartphone into a functional GPS, whether you have service, whether you don't have service, our bread and butter is private land ownership data. Um, but it's it's used for a plethora of different game species from hunting elk in Washington to squirrels in West Virginia. Um, if you like to hunt, heck, if you just like to get outside, there is going to be value for you in the Onyx Hunt app. Uh, if nothing else, it keeps you from getting lost. Yeah. Hey, okay, Rusty. If, do you ever feel like we're getting punked by the cell phone companies and maybe even by these guys when we don't have cell service and they can still, our phones are still GPSs? I know, right? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite features is the offline. No kidding. Yeah. And we, we have a lot How of areas that work, here. Jared? That, well, you know, you punch <laughs> in two lines of code to some software engineering and it's done. And your phone's a GPS. That easy, yeah. Used to, GPS was like a big deal. You had to go like buy your own GPS and anymore. Not so. Onyx, man. Nah, yeah. Good to have you guys. I'm going to go out of order and I'm going to introduce Zach Sandow. Zach, you work for Onyx too. I Welcome do. to the Bear Grease Render. Yes, thank you. I'm excited. I've been listening to these since the first one. Hey, he I'm really does. On it. He, he pulls out. Man, okay. If you listen to the Bear Grease podcast, Clay Newcomb knows it real quick. 
I, I, I could go through and I could tell each one of you guys how many times you've listened to it and how many times you haven't. We're going to do that. Based cause... upon, based upon, like, you know how they're tracking, you know, these companies track people's data? Not on I track We don't my, do any tracking. I track my friend's data on how much they've listened to the Bear Grease podcast. And Zach Sandow listens to it because he was pulling up little facts from the Boone podcast like weeks ago. Hmm. He was like, man, that when Dan Boone did that, I was like, you really listen, don't you? I do. And he was like, yeah. So, <laughs> honestly, that, for me, like, it's when it first came out, we work with you anyways, but the storytelling of it was sweet. And I do a lot of drives hunting season, like when I'm driving across the state, it's the perfect thing to listen to, a good mix up from the traditional podcast, especially in the hunting industry. I mean, it was easy. Like, yeah. I just had them, I'd download four or five of them and listen to them on a full trip there and back. And so it was always great. But yeah, no, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to talk about this one. Um, Myself, I've worked at Onyx for six years now. Okay. I manage the hunt team, work with the marketing team, and then the folks, we have a, you know, awesome team in our company as well. You know, we have our hunt product. That's our baby. That's what got us started. But now we have an off-road product, and then we also have backcountry products. So yeah, we've grown quite a bit since Jared and I first started. There was yeah. 32 people when I started, and what was it, like 50? 60. Yeah. 60 when Jared started, and we're much, much bigger than that now. Yeah. Four That's and a half and six man. years later. So it's been really cool. And now to watch. you're originally from Montana. Yep. I was born yeah. and raised in Missoula, Montana. So Missoula, where Montana. our home office is. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And now, Jared, you're from Wisconsin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. White tails, you know? White tails. So to your left, Jared, is my buddy, Justin Michaud. Justin, welcome to the Bear Grease Render, man. Thank you, buddy. I feel like I've been on this just by hanging in the tree with you. Yeah. We've had a podcast going for five days already. I talked Everybody. Justin's ear off when we hung <clears> together. <throat> Just nonstop chatterbox. I learn a lot from you. <laughs> Man, so Justin and I, Justin went to Canada with me this year and filmed. And then he's been with me this whole week and filmed. We, we didn't know each other before that, though. Nope. So back in September is when we first met. And we've had a great time. Justin is extremely talented and good at what he does. Let me just tell you, if you're if you're needing a, I better not say this. People from other companies might listen to this. If you're going on you a whitetail deer you're hunt, you're already fighting Mark. Remember, I know so Mark. Better... Me and Mark Kenyon fight over Justin when we're tree stand whitetail hunting because he's the man. So uh, no, Justin's a really good photographer, really good videographer, really good to have hanging in a tree with you, and a good whitetail hunter too. So I go to him for advice. What, what should we do, Justin? Hadn't worked too much this week, but... Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, scent control. So, ooh, <laughs> scent control. That's right. That's right. No, I'm kidding. You're from New York. Yes, not originally. Got originally a bunch of kids. from South Carolina. So That's I, right. I feel like with these accents that are flying around here, I feel mm -hmm. a little bit like I'm at home. But, um, yeah. Because all the, the Yankee accents? No, no, no. No, you guys. The Arkansas boys. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. It feels like South Carolina. You guys got that same Southern flair. Okay. And I was just at the gas station. They had fried chicken by the register. So I, <laughs> knew, I knew I was in the right place. But yeah, I got a lot of kids. Not a lot. Three. Three kids. They're all great. To your left, to Justin's left, my old buddy, Rusty Johnson. Hey, Clay. How's it going, man? It is going good. I'm glad to be here. Finally sharing an account with Clay Newcomb. Ah, man. <laughs> Rusty and I have known each other since 2007 when I killed a deer and you were an official Pope and Young scorer. Yeah. Looked you up. However, we found Pope and Young scores back then. 
at probably on the internet. Yep. And uh, I pr- no, it was probably in like a Yellow Pages book. <laughs> it was probably like that long. That was ago. a long time ago. Yeah, but uh, no, nah, it, it's it's been fun hunting with you this week. Yeah, yeah, it's been a joy. We've had a blast. Yeah. Yep. What What do you think about all this? This has been like ridiculous, hasn't it? Oh man, this is probably the hottest and probably hardest hunt I've ever had this time of year here in Arkansas. I mean, it's yeah. it's so unusual. I can't. I, I I don't know that we've broke records, but it would surprise me if we didn't. Yeah. Seventy six degrees on yeah. September or December second. Unreal. So uh, we're gonna go around here in a minute and talk about Rusty, but. To your left, we got we got a couple of guys that aren't don't have headsets that are here. We'll go back to them. But to your left is your son, Rustin Johnson. What's Rustin, going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing really good. Trail man, Sam. When I met Rustin, he was just a little, just a little dude. I was still chubby, but I was little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fun size. How tall are you, Rustin? Six three. Six, or if I'm three. wearing boots, six four. So. Six three, yeah. and you're 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 not uh you're not exactly petite as six a six three man. No, I'm anywhere between three and four hundred pounds. Depends on what <laughs> depends on what time of year if I'm in hibernation or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well you guys are so fun to watch, father and son team. How old are you? Twenty. I'm twenty four. Twenty four. Yeah. And your dad turned fifty just a few days ago at yep. camp. Just turned but fifty. It's been so everyone fun. thinks we're brothers though because he looks young for his age. He does. Yeah. He <laughs> does. He looks yeah. good. Clean living, man. Hey, we'll talk about Rusty's. Uh, we want to get a uh, hunter to talk a little bit about Rusty's uh, hunting style. But uh, so the other guy that's here is Hunter Rude. Hunter, you, you're where are you from? I'm from uh, Southeast Minnesota. Southeast Minnesota. And you've been hunting with Rusty Johnson all week. Give us a, okay, what are you going to tell people about Rusty when you go back home next week? When you talk about his whitetail hunting, his eccentricities, all these things, What how, describe him to us. He loves hunting whitetails more than anybody on this earth. <laughs> like, there's no argument against it. <laughs> and he spends more time in a tree than anybody. Okay. I mean, his straight-up tactic is get a picture of a buck and then just go sit in the tree and wait for him to come back. <laughs> it's real simple. <laughs> just spend as many hours in a tree as you possibly can. Yeah. Even if it's three hours before sunrise. I mean, yeah, okay. you're, what you're time in the have tree. y'all been waking up? We've been waking up at like, well, he wakes up at like, I don't know, 2.45? Yeah, I've, I've been getting up about 2.45. And I come downstairs and he's sitting in the kitchen, fully dressed, waiting <laughs> he's got at 3.45. <laughs> we, we were joking this morning. Um, Hunter Hunter was real proud of himself because on day three he felt like he'd woke up before Rusty and was going to be ready. Because <laughs> the first day, Rusty said, "We're we're truck is rolling out at four o'clock," and the guys like woke up Hunter at like three fifty seven. It was four o'clock. It was yeah, four o'clock. Was four o'clock. And I was going out the door at four o three. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then and then so a couple days later he's like, "Okay, I've been trained by Rusty now." I'm gonna beat Rusty down the stairs, and he 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 walks in. He flips on the lights, and there's Rusty sitting, waiting, <laughs> sitting in the dark staring. in the corner, like <laughs> tapping his foot very impatiently. Like, come not, on, like looking at his watch, <laughs> like oh, trucks fun. running, everything's ready bit. to go. It's just like, man, this dude loves it, and so, can't get enough. And you've been sitting long days. Yeah, we've been doing all-day sits, and I mean, like, well, we get down and switch trees, but I mean, you're still in the woods all day, but 
it'll be like 75 degrees and this dude's like one might just walk by at noon you know even though it's Anything 75 degrees happen. you know he might get thirsty hey, me and justin it was actually justin's idea so today so we have this group text thread going you know and uh turns out i'm kind of in the lead on like the point system we have going here yeah. i wouldn't i wasn't gonna mention who killed the deer and the rabbit yeah. uh but justin so we decided we were gonna get down at like 10 o'clock this morning and what i was gonna say about justin we're coming back to rusty but i'm gonna talk about justin Justin, every single day at about 8.30, starts talking about sausage gravy and biscuits. Oh, man. <laughs> Brutal. And he'll start, he'll start like glaring into my eyes and kind of lean forward and go, man, some flaky biscuits and some sausage gravy. Eggs. Eggs. Buttery eggs. And mm. he sees it works on me. I, I kind of start <laughs> to soften up a little bit. And so we go, we, we get down, and he said, I said, well, maybe it was my idea. It was your idea. You okay. were about to throw me under the bus, and I was going to stay there, but go and, ahead. And I, and I said, I tell you what, let's do. Let's go to the town over here 20 miles, me, you, and Zach, because Zach was hunting with us. Let's get a big country breakfast Ooh. and get back to camp about you know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock. Everybody's going to be wondering where we're at. And what were you going to say, Justin? Oh, we've been hitting it hard. <laughs> well, you, you were gonna, you were, you were gonna say anything could happen. Yeah, anything you have, it could happen. You got to be out there. Got to be out there. <laughs> but he was mocking Rusty. What Rusty would say. So yeah. it was really funny. We laughed. We laughed. We didn't we get laughed. our breakfast though. I don't think that food trick would work on uh, my dad, Rusty. Oh, no. he doesn't eat like at all during deer season. Uh-huh. He loses a bunch of weight. No, the first day I sat with him, I was monitoring that, and uh, he ate a, a Hershey's candy bar with uh, nuts in it, and that's like his go-to. Uh-huh. Drank one bottle of water. At noon, he ate a granola bar, and that was it. All day sit. <laughs> All day. Meanwhile, I'm on like 3,000 calories. <laughs> You're the king of the snacks. <laughs> okay, and there was also a rumor going around the camp the first day that like in an all-day sit, like sitting across from you, eye to eye, you're filming him. He said like 10 words. Uh, Y'all kind of warmed up later in the week. Yeah, we did. Like. Day three, we talked about beaver trapping. <laughs> we got really close after that, but that that was like two minute, two minutes max. I mean, we're in there to kill a deer, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't kill a deer if you're talking. Yeah. Well, that's well, not necessarily uh, yeah, true. That's strange that the you know. This is strange talk. that yeah, that kind of the team Nukem Mashu is winning. I mean, we've all. been passing uh, bucks oh. the last couple of days. <laughs> okay. Do you pass them if they're at 130 yards? Or? I'm not sure that's an archery pass. How about the other two that yards? were at about 10? Okay, you know, good, you, great point. You great were saying point. brown, it's down. I mean, Rusty has high standards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're working now. On what I did learn about Rusty on this on this trip, you get like anxiety before a hunt, like excitement, Absolutely. anxiety. Absolutely. Talk to I us mean, about that. Can I, I help I, you with I, that? Well. When I wake up, I mean, I'm so worked. I don't get much sleep, you know, when I'm hunting like this. And right. when I wake up in the morning, I have this gag. I mean, I just start gagging because I'm, I've got so much excitement and I'm so ready to go. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's the anxiety. I mean, it just, I'm so excited How about it. How often would you say you feel that much excitement slash anxiety about a whitetail hunt? Uh, every day that I go, every every serious? every this is after. single. I can day. validate it. I hear the puking every time. See, I'm still like asleep, but he wakes me up about to leave, and he's puking or yeah. gagging. This is after four I, days of seeing. This nothing. is a normal, Rusty. 
I've done this for years. It gets wound up. Really? I, I've I've just I mean, I love it so much that it just it just gets to me. <laughs> I'm I don't know what it is. Jared, what do you think about this? It blows my mind. Like, I mean, I love whitetail hunting. Um, but <clears throat> Rusty getting up like a full solid two hours before everybody else in camp. I mean, the fact that he sits in the dark drinking coffee, waiting for his cameraman. <laughs> no, he's like drinking coffee. <laughs> like, he, uh, he is beyond next level, and I will echo Hunter's sentiment that I throw some names out there that might like whitetail deer hunting as much as Rusty Johnson, and let's put them into camp together. Let's see. My money's on. on Rusty. Same. <laughs> like, whatever it is. You Snapchatted me earlier this week, and you, the, you had the little temperature gauge on. It was 67, and it was like 1.25 p.m. You had the timestamp on there, and you said, we're sitting in a food plot waiting for one. And I, I just was dying because the rest of us were sitting in camp eating sandwiches. and Except for Clay and Justin, they were uh, shock pouching one out. Yeah, oh, that, no. that, that could be yeah, true. Um, <laughs> Rusty was sitting on a food plot in right, 70 Justin, degrees yeah, December 1st, waiting on a big one. We seen a, a big one, big spike. <laughs> Minnesota 11 point as you've uh, Northern in- Minnesota 11 point. Oh, okay yeah, yeah. Hey, we would have had a big one down but I was in school for most of the time I'll, this is the first day I've got to hunt yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so I've been in- hitting the books yeah Rustin is in law school yeah shock of the camp I mean I've known this for years but you look like a lawyer I'm in my last year of law school yeah I've been, I feel like I've been in school forever but it's going that's awesome man yeah. that is awesome. almost to the finish line Good to know a guy like that, just in case you get in trouble, you know? <laughs> get in a little trouble. <laughs> yeah. Never know. Hey, the guy that I haven't introduced yet is Dalton. Dalton, how's it going, man? Awesome, man. It's awesome to be here. What do you here. have to say about Rusty? You know Rusty about as well as anybody. There's huge pros and cons to hunting with Rusty. And yeah. I think the guys have, have touched it pretty good. The only negative to hunting with Rusty is you start questioning how much you actually like to deer hunt. Like, that's <laughs> the best way I can describe it. You think that you love hunting and you get hyped up. I sat with this guy for 13 days in Kansas. So we, we hunted 13 days. I think the first five, we I don't know that we saw a deer. We hit it terrible timing. We had to make adjustments. And he's not joking. Every single morning that light came on at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, I don't set alarms when I stay with him anymore because he, the dry heaving he wakes you up. It. The dry it, heaving will wake wow. you up. So this is verified by multiple sources. Yeah, you don't even set an alarm. You, you, may, just, get, you may want to get that checked out, buddy. Yeah. I but that's incredible, that. though. I mean, it's December, right? It's December. I'm one of the hardest times we've been on yeah. uh, in years, and he's still he's that way every single time. And you killed a big buck. Uh, you've killed two good bucks this year. I have, yeah. And you double. killed a big one yep. on public land. I did. Here I sure just did. Like a week ago. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that one, but I'm I'm also a little bit sad about it because that's a buck that Rustin was chasing. He hunted his butt off for that buck, mm-hmm. and I go in there in two days and knock him down. But mm-hmm. sorry, Rustin. <laughs> but that's just what that's a dad way, that's has way it to goes, do sometimes. But, but yeah, it's it's a really nice. Uh, it's the biggest eight point I've ever killed. Yeah, and I've killed some pretty good eight points. One hundred forty three. Yeah. Well, yeah. ask him about his last biggest eight point because I also had that one on camera and was hunting it, and then he goes in there and kills it. Too. Yeah, he did. Mm. Yeah, yeah, last year. That's nice. Yeah. But I I kind of set him up on it, so I I was happy that he did it. Yeah, you know, talking about Rusty liking to hunt so much. I identify with that because I remember before I got into the outdoor industry, I remember seeing all these guys in the outdoor industry and the problem with comparing people to people in an event 
where like in sports, you know, you can compare like stats, you know, like how many points did he score? How many points did he score? Yeah. The guy that scored more points is better. Yeah. The problem with hunting is that it's not like that at all. Not not even remotely like that. And nor is there any reason really why we would compare one hunter to another hunter. But but we do always sometimes. human yeah. nature. I remember when I was not in the outdoor industry at all. And I remember having a thought, I'm not, I, I don't need to be the best hunter. I don't, I'll never be the best hunter at what I do. But I remember thinking, it is not possible to love hunting more than I love it. Right. And that validated me as a young man. I'm not saying my, the way I would express that would be different than you would. But I'm saying that is a valuable, valuable, that's a gift, man. It is. To, to be passionate about something. It is. Man, when I meet people that are not passionate about something, I don't understand that person. Right. To to be passionate about something is a gift, man. It is. And as long as it doesn't control your life in a negative way. There are things that we can get into that like distort us and make us kind of screwed up as humans. I don't see that inside of your world. No. Rusty has a strong family. He's got a he's he's a great husband. He's a great father. And so like this hasn't messed you up. Because no. it messes people up. It does. Y'all know it what does. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you can you can you can take something to an extreme where yeah, <clears throat> maybe maybe the guy is like so you know per, so performance oriented that the rest of his life is a wreck. And or my whole hunting career, I've been interested in being as passionate as I could be and being the best that I could possibly be while maintaining balance inside of my life. Because I knew that for a white-tailed deer only means so much, but it means a ton when you have a a a, a big world. Mm-hmm. that it fits inside of kind of a context if i could say it that way and i see that with you and in rustin yeah and it was and it was passed along from from my that's dad that's right yes yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah your yeah. dad i wish my he dad's was here. one of the, one of the best hunters that i know yeah i mean he don't hunt much anymore you know he's getting older now but uh i mean he he is i learned everything that i know from him and yeah. he is one of the best hunters that i've ever seen and see the first time i ever met you you were with your dad mm mm-hmm. mhm and I recognized that you and your dad had a really strong relationship, and uh, he was an official scorer too, just like yes. you were. Mm-hmm. You guys know what we do on the Bear Grease Render. We have to. Uh, is there anything else I, we should cover? Well, I think I want to go around and have you peg a number on how many Bear Grease episodes that we've all listened to. Oh, sure. Oh, no problem. Because yeah, you said you said you were pretty dialed. No problem. Okay. Okay. Um, you know that off the top should, of your head? Should we or? set over-unders for this each is person? Totally, this is totally going off just, uh, this isn't like data that I have like oh, behind okay. the scenes. This is just me interacting with you and... This is your intuition. I would say Jared has probably listened to 70% of them. Justin's listened to five. Rusty's listened to about... 5% or five pod- Five total, total episodes. Uh, Rusty's listened to one. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um, Dalton's listened to three. Rustin has listened to probably 80% of them. Maybe. In uh, the ballpark? Uh, ballpark. Maybe a little a little bit lower. I'm a busy guy. I'd say, okay, so, yeah. so I'm off. Yeah, well, I'm in law school, got United Outdoors and Fireside <laughs> Apparel. Your recollection of the ones you did worked. And Zach, oh, yeah. you probably listened to, oh, Justin's showing me his deal. Do you see this? These are your top three. Yeah. So you've listened to more than five? Yes. <laughs> are, you, are you offended? <laughs> you underestimated him. Are you offended? <laughs> he's he filming your hunt tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach, how many have you listened to, Zach? I don't know. I was trying to think of that. I think you have what? 
32? 30 episodes. 30 episodes. I would say I'm over 20 for sure. Okay. I don't know where I'm Good. at so from like, there. You know, like 70, 60 Yeah, I can't say so, I've listened to all I, of them. Okay, now tell me how I did. Uh, you were probably, I'm probably about 50%. If there's okay. 30 episodes, I've probably been at 15, <laughs> okay. 20 in okay. that realm. You okay. were in the realm. I was impressed. Okay. Yeah. I was off on Justin. Sorry, Ten. Justin. I did 10. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Rusty. double. You were exactly correct. And I listened to it today. Uh, but after yeah, listening yeah. to it, I liked it. And I'm going li- to start listening to them. Okay. It's okay. really interesting. Good. Dalton. I think I'm exactly three, actually. The very okay. first wow. one. How many did I say? You said three. Okay. I think yeah. it's exactly three. Okay. I don't know. You what should probably. Yeah, you should give a little spiel about. I mean. I think the hunt lead, can be summed up. Lead Rusty, it, lead it. You, you, Rusty you hadn't seen much for the first three days. The last two days, he's been in the game. Oh, in the I game am, with a great buck. I am in the game. I am in the game Talk for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, those first two or three days were terrible. Terrible. But then uh, we moved over here to this new area. and I Well, let's first uh, Clay Newcomb here just wrangling. Yeah. Private permission. Yeah. To yeah. change okay. the course of the hunt. I guess we need hunt. to start. Yeah. We need to start from the beginning. We came here to hunt public land yeah. in Arkansas. Bow hunt public land mm-hmm. starting on that, November 29th. We got to give credit to Rusty Dalton and Rustin from United Outdoors for spending, I don't know how many hours in boot miles to, yeah. to yeah. scout and have uh, you know some ideas laid out for us. But Mother Nature came in. This same week last year, it was on fire. I, mean, I remember that it was. It was you nuts. were texting me from the tree stand. Yeah, and what's cool? What was cool about this for me is this is a place that I used to hunt, but had not hunted it probably since 2005. So that that's kind of the overarching thing. And then we we got permission on a big piece of property over here just for the days we're here. <laughs> just kind of a random deal. We ran into somebody. They happened to have a big piece of property, and they happened to let all of us bow hunt it. And it's, it's a really good piece of property. I mean, the fantastic piece. Yeah. Just the weather and timing is still really tough. Yeah. yeah. But Rusty is on one. Tell us your story, Dan. Well, I got lucky. You know, we kind of all dispersed and kind of spread out. And Clay you know. kind of told you where to go. And Clay <laughs> dropped, me a, <laughs> dropped me a pin. And so that's where me and Hunter went. <laughs> I got lucky. I thought I was gar holding. Yeah, was a gar holding. That's kind of what I had in the back of my mind. He was gar holding me, but anyway, it turned out really good. <laughs> I mean, we saw a lot of deer. Uh, we saw a really nice eight point come out. Grunted him into the base of the tree. We decided to let him go. He was dead by everybody else. We saw. <laughs> <laughs> we saw. Uh, we saw a nice little six point a spike. We saw a lot of does, over twenty does. I lost count of how many does we saw. So. Uh, we noticed where they come out of the woods, and uh, right at last light, uh, Hunter said, here comes a deer down the fence line. He said, I think it's a small buck. So I put my binoculars up, and I said, no. I said, that's a shooter. So, I mean, we were running out of light really fast, and he got in to about 15 yards, and he smelled us, and he started snorting, but he wasn't moving anywhere. He would just stomp his foot, and he would snort. I just need him to take a couple steps. Gotta love these private land mature bucks, man. Yeah. I did two steps is all I needed for him to, you know, to get in an opening. And he, he stood there. He stood there. We were losing light, losing light. He finally took those two steps. I come to full draw. I could not see my pen in the mm. peep sight. So it, it was game over at that, t- at that time. So I just let my draw down, and we just sat there, and he finally eased off. 
So we made another play on him tonight, and we again misjudged where he was going to come out. And uh, we saw him again, and he got within 50 yards, and I actually drawed on him. And again, it was late, uh, low light. I couldn't see my pin and my peep. I don't think I would have took that shot anyway. I mean, 40 is about my max Mm -hmm. nowadays. Uh, When I was younger, I might have shot a little further. but So he eased off, so we got one more day to make another play on him, and I feel confident. If he does what he did today, then we might have a shot at him. I'm hoping. Keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. You know we're all rooting for you, man. Mm -hmm. We need some excitement around here. (laughs) I believe this deer would bring some excitement to the camp. Yes, I he mean he, he's a really good buck. I think a spike will bring some excitement. <laughs> to yeah. I think another rabbit tomorrow would bring a little. Excitement I, I think to you're this right. Camp. Although Somebody's- that that's not an overly true statement. The excitement level has never wavered. I mean, oh, there's been positivity and uh, that's the best group of guys. I've, a lot I've of chatter going on. So it, it you know it would just be some nice icing on the cake to mm-hmm. come through in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's be careful not to start any rumors. Deer hunting is terrible. Turkey hunting is terrible. Might as well go to Missouri. Yeah. I'm kind of starting to hunt Oklahoma, so Oklahoma hunting is terrible too, so don't go there. Uh, Justin, what do you think of this hunting? You've, you hunted all over the country, really. Uh, it's tough, man. I mean, again, I feel like you can't get past the barrier of it being 75 degrees in December. I mean, you told me on the phone when we first talked about this trip, this is going to be tough. You know, I didn't imagine it being like this, but yeah. I mean... It was cool to go in, you know, we got a mile back in from the truck in some serious terrain coming, you know, from New York and making judgments on how, where to sit based on like food and things like that. It's just like, there's no food here. <laughs> it's just, I don't, how, how these deer, rocks and grass. how these deer survive? I have no clue. It, yeah. it took there's me three no, days to find deer poop. <laughs> They don't. They don't poop here either. Yeah. Well, well you Rusty eat took the <laughs> only video of the only deer pooping in the county. You have so. to eat to poop. You, I've been uh, intrigued at like because I'll say to you, I'm like, I mean, we're looking at the map. I'm like, where's the food? Like, where? The, why would these deer get up from one spot? Like, they should just lay there and die. There's no. <laughs> there's just no, give up. Yeah. Not now. Besides, for no food, there's like uh, baseball and softball sized rocks underneath. <laughs> Like four inches yeah. of leaves. Yeah. yeah. It's like rock piles, man. Ankle busters. Yeah. So if they move to try to find food, they break their <laughs> their ankles. So it sucks to be a deer here. Yeah. And that's probably why we're not and seeing And then Rusty any. Johnson is creeping right. around in every if, tree yeah, day and decide, night. If you decide to get up, Rusty will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty's, Rusty's got so many trail cameras out. He knows when every deer in this county stands up, poops, and stands up. up. Yeah. Oh man! Well, while we're sitting here, you know, our shirts hanging off uh, in like swimsuit weather, I'm getting photos of deer back home. So as soon as we can wrap this up, yeah, just like, <laughs> man, I'm really wasting my time in this tree stand. There's, I see actual food on these cameras of deer eating. No, it's, it's, it's good. I hey. mean, but like I was saying, we went back in a mile from the truck and, and obviously at home too, you have to pick bots based on terrain and movement. And like, you know, we sat and again, it felt like nowheresville for two nights or two sits, saw deer the first night. Uh, they were just out of range. 
Um, and then the next morning, we sat, and man, the only deer we saw ended up on your back. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence Throughout the day, knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. I, I want to talk about that. Rusty, I don't know if I told you the whole situation with that doe. 
man, let me say as well, I was absolutely thrilled to go back in where we did and kill that deer. I hunted back in there when I was in college. I think about that spot to this day. A fall doesn't go by where I don't think about that spot back there where I took Justin. Really? Yeah, because it was when I, I cut my teeth bow hunting over here. I mean, I left Gary Newcomb's camp, Camp Newcomb, and was flushed out on my own, you know. And I found that spot on Topo Map before Onyx when we actually went to the store and bought a big three by three Topo mm-hmm. Map. But I hadn't been back there. I just moved. I just have done other stuff, you know. Yeah, right. So to go back in there and even just to kill a doe thrilled i'm serious i that's the highlight of my season i've killed three pretty good bucks i told justin this there's a one of my arrows is still in a tree over there somewhere because i missed a deer up there at like 40 yards and my arrow stuck in a tree and i just left it there for the anthropologist in ten thousand years huh when i was in school years ago yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah, that's gonna be (laughs) our segue but i want to talk about this doe real quick this doe came in we were up just under 30 feet. 103 Our, feet. <laughs> we, were, we were real high. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the way you beat a deer's nose, boys. You get up real high. Hang out and with this, the birds. this doe passed all the way around us and actually dropped down into the kind of head of this hollow. And I was hanging as absolutely far to the left as you could in a tree saddle. Trusting I mean, like it. I've, I've got my feet like, you know, just like on the side <clears throat> of my platform and I'm just like hanging off. And this deer steps out to 30 yards, and I knew it because I'd ranged openings, and mm-hmm. I just knew it was about 30 yards. The deer, it's it's thick. I drew before she came into the opening. I mean, it was just perfect. And uh, she got into the opening, bah, grunted at her. There was one vine about half the size of your pinky that was running up about three feet in front of her, right over the vitals, and I chose to send it. Because uh, <laughs> I knew choice. that if it deflected... Like it was close enough to her that it wasn't going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. If that vine had been fifteen feet away, it would have been different. Shot in in my mind, I just hit it right where I was aiming, thirty yards. And so now the deer is probably forty feet below me though, because I'm thirty <laughs> feet from the ground, and the deer is at She's least ten that. feet below the base of the tree. Am I right? Yep. So it's way down there. Shoot. In my mind, I just see that. I just see it. Just go right where I wanted. But still, it's a long shot. It couldn't really tell. The deer mule kicks, runs out there, stops 50 yards away. And I think it's just going to start tumbling down the hill. It stops, it turns, and it starts walking. And I go, oh, man. And it gets down. It just walks out of sight. And then we hear a deer start blowing. Mm-hmm. And I know the deer that I've shot isn't blowing. But in your mind, you're thinking, it's not the deer good. I just shot, blow it. And Justin, I even said, did I miss that deer? And Justin was like, I could have swore I heard you hit it. And I said, I could have swore I saw me hit it with my eyes. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then it's, there's a big log right behind this doe. And I think maybe I went right under that doe and it hit that log and just thudded and it sounded like there's I hit her. Nothing like the, what goes through your mind after releasing an arrow. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. second two, guesses, third two and guesses, and a half minutes seventh guesses. Creeping. Yep. And, so we sat up there for 20 minutes. I get down. I walk over to the arrow. Well, first of all, from the tree stand, we, we're glassing the arrow, and the arrow has no blood on it that we can tell. <laughs> and I'm in my mind thinking, yeah. I just tin ring this deer, and this arrow is not adding up. I get down, walk over to it, pick up the arrow, and I'm telling you, that arrow was almost clean, 
and it had stomach content on it, very little blood, and white hair. So I go back up and report to Justin and say, not good, buddy. And we set up in the tree for two hours. And I'm like kind of in the dumps, just like, man, I just gut shot this deer. This is, you know, we're going to track this deer all day. We're over a mile from the truck. We finally get down, start tracking it. <clears throat> spotty, spotty blood. Look uh, like liver blood. L- dark liver <clears throat> blood. Not very much liver blood. Stomach content and little specks of blood. Trail it to the log where we saw it. Turns downhill. We get about 10 yards from where I saw it. And there's a deer laying there dead. And I walk down there and I absolutely 10 ring that deer. I hit wow. it. I counted ribs. I hit it four ribs into the rib cage. The deer's quartering away from me. One, two, three, four ribs in. Mm-hmm. Entry hole. The arrow exited about three inches behind the front shoulder in the lower one third of the cavity. Entered right here. Wow. Came out right here. Necropsy showed liver and double lung. Wow. Crazy. And, and she walked away. And she walked away. And that arrow was covered in. It was she an was, expandable head, and she, it clipped. Oh, Clay. She was blowing. <laughs> don't she, tell me that. <laughs> she was blowing, like, Sorry. stomach contents out of her hole. But huh. it, it was, the, the entry hole had stomach contents. Anyway, it was just wild. I mean, everything about, every single factor of that would tell me gut shot, but my eyes told me it was a ten ring. Anyway, it was a good shot. It was a good shot. So it worked. Well, and it's a dang good thing that uh, Clay did tender in that thing because I was in charge of the food plan. And I just planned in a night of venison because all I heard was about this on fire week in December. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, we just about went hungry one night. Yeah. 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 By on fire, we were talking about the temperatures, not the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live and learn with you, son, yeah. boys. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to my, uh, my arrow that is lodged in an oak tree back on that ridge on public land that anthropologists will dig up. The point of the Bear Grylls Render is we, we, we need to talk about this, uh, the Folsom Part 2 podcast. Killing bison with stone points. Jared, what did you think? What stood uh, out to you? Well, there... All right, so the one thing that stood out to me is the number that I, th- I think I heard was 32 bison That's were right. found. And bison antiquus? Bison antiquus. And, you know, it sounded like they they harvested these bison with some type of atlatl or spear throwing. We're not we sure. We don't know. What really stands out to me is I've butchered some elk. I've butchered some deer. I cannot imagine the amount of time and effort it took to butcher 32 1,000-pound animals with stones. Those people had to be there for days cutting up bison meat. Like, yeah. they maybe just lived there for yeah. a month. They may have set up yeah. camp. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that part to me was just like, man, I I cannot imagine that workload. Yeah. That, that's a good point. And what we don't know is how many people there were there. Were there. Well, and, the, you know, there was some speculation. I think it was you and Steve going back and forth that these people, it was not a populous area as far as human beings oh, anywhere no. on this continent at that point in time to the point that you guys... Um, we're saying that it likely wouldn't have been uncommon for you not to see anyone that you weren't related to for your entire lifetime. Yeah. And so, I mean, in my mind, it was like, okay, what, like 15 people, 20 people killed 32 bison? Oof. Yeah. I would if I was up there with an atlatl, I'd have been like, all right, guys, we got we got a lot of few of these things run away. Like, I, I ain't butchering for six months. Well, hey, that's a good... 
How many got away though? I, that's you the tell thing. me. Yeah. A lot. That that's one thing that I was wondering. Uh, how many was the herd actually? Right. I mean, how many was actually in the herd? Yeah. And I can't remember in there. Did he explain why there were no bulls? I mean, it was just a. That's a good point. It, it was a cow calf herd, so there yeah. just weren't that time of the year breeding was done. And bison segregate like that, and there'll be okay. bachelor groups. Just like whitetails, Rusty. Bachelor groups, hanging out, doe groups. So, so it, it was, was just in a the cow-calf fall. herd. It was in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I've got mm, a question. So you say it's a cow-calf herd. Is there any knowledge or speculation around whether they valued the horns or antlers off of maybe the males, and they might have taken it with them? Mm. Well, there were not males killed at the Folsom site in that pile because they accounted for the other bones, that the, the, the yeah. skulls of the females and calves, Pelvis and- you know, so it wasn't like there were unaccounted for, and they were able to tell that it was yeah. all females. And so, and they left all the skulls. And cause they said that there's no value to them. Right. So That's they right. wouldn't carry them cause they're too heavy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Got the select cuts and then got out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It well, would be interesting to know how many got away because undoubtedly you would think some would have gotten away. For sure. Yeah. What's crazy is like, I mean, you shot that doe. She ran 50, 60 yards. Like how how are they doing this that they're just piled up right there? <laughs> That's the mystery, <laughs> like, man. It would be I mean, hard to move a uh, big you, animal. Yeah, I mean, but bison I mean, like, are if huge, you hit those, that, you would think that they would r- run. Like, and they some, all died right. in a spot about as big as this living room. Wow. Like, they all figured they died right there because, I mean, I, weren't they found in a creek bed? Well, but also, like, the topography that they talked about plays into that. Yeah. Being at a box canyon up oh, at yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. But I think it is interesting with that. For one, there's a couple things going. I'll take a step back in a second, but how they knew it was in the fall, I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's so straightforward. Yeah. But yeah. when he said it, it's like wow. Why, to look I, at that when, when and I, I asked him, I, th- I thought, why didn't I think of that? that yeah, I should have known yeah. that. But yeah, it was real interesting. But with the Box Canyon, I thought it was interesting because immediately I thought, like, yeah, they're gonna disperse. It's crazy to think they drug them all to one area to take care of them. We yeah. knew that they took select cuts. So if you're going to do that, you could just do them where the animals are, get what you need and go, so you'd think it'd be more dispersed. So I think the topography definitely plays into that, especially when you get into the tactics from Steve to, who was it, Dr. Meltzer was Dr. the other Meltzer. one? I think they both could be valid. Um, well, but, now, well, now, Kyle Bell is the one. Oh, Kyle one. Bell, Kyle Bell, Kyle, yeah. So Meltzer and Steve you know, had the same idea that they were herded in there well, and all well, killed. Well, wasn't Meltzer's head. that they were coming in there on their own free will for no, that no, no, salt? That was, no, Kyle that, was, that was Kyle Bell. That was Kyle Bell. Yeah. Kyle Bell. That was Kyle Bell, which, yeah. without knowing the area, I it's tough to say. I think both could happen. So yeah. Steve thought that they were herded in and they yeah. got stuck at the top of this box canyon, no place to escape. Kyle Bell thought they were going there freely. Bison yeah. are going to do what they want, and they were going in there for some sort of mineral. And then, you know, knowing that they're going to go in there, it's a perfect ambush opportunity. Hey, this wasn't on the podcast, but this is what the Bear Grease Render is all about. The manager of the Crowfoot Ranch, really sharp guy named Seth, he thinks there was a mineral in there too. And I mean, and Clay, what do you think? We never heard an opinion from you. Man, I got to go with the experts. Dr. Meltzer has literally devoted like a massive part of his career to studying 
this exact thing. I mean, he's done a lot of other stuff too, but I mean, he literally wrote a textbook. Like the book that he wrote is like an academic textbook. Hmm. I mean, it's like, it's not like a, a, a nonfiction, like fun read, you know, yeah. like it's like a <laughs> textbook, man. So I, I just got to believe the guy has more data points than he can say in a five minute section on my podcast. And we talked a whole lot more. I mean, I talked to him for hours. Yeah. And, and, and we've now heard him speak on the podcast for like, 21 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's what it boiled down to with him. Yeah. So, you know, there's stuff you just got to take out. That being said, these other guys who, this Seth, this ranch manager, he's running cattle all day. He's on that land all day. He knows that farm. He knows that place. Watch us how similar and ungulates he, he didn't think yeah. he could push them in there. Huh. And then Kyle, he's got a convincing little sound bite there. Yeah. He's like, I've been on 200 bison kills. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, yeah. I've Hard messed with bison, but Steve's point I think is pretty a counter to that, which is so strong. Which was these bison literally may have never seen a bipedal human before. Sure, a trump. They could have walked up to these things and like scratched them behind the ears before they killed them. I mean, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, but th- these aren't domesticated bison like we would have today. For sure. So potentially the behavior of these animals. And undoubtedly, humans have, we know it from whitetail hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so clear. Human predation changes animal behavior. Absolutely. So potentially they could have been herded. Yeah. And and I think they probably were herded in there. Do we know what the major predation source was at that time? You know, that's a good question. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but there were some wild predators back then, man. Yeah, probably some mean stuff. There were, I'm not sure if the dire wolves, they probably weren't around at that time. Definitely some simulation of a modern gray wolf. Yeah. But I mean, these bison antiquas came out of a time of predation of like massive jaguars that are like three times as big, American cheetahs, American lions, saber-toothed cats. Yeah. But I think those were deeper into history. It's, it, it really is fascinating. So, And the other thing that's kind of shocking to me, at least from what I gleaned uh, from your podcast, was they found the bison, you know, remains. They found some Folsom points, but there really wasn't any other artifacts that were found. You know, no, nothing other that suggests that they made camp there for a while while they dealt with these bison or that they were in the area for any significant period of time. Right. So, so like, that was so kind of Meltzer, shocking to me. So probably on part three... You'll hear David Meltzer talk more about that because part three, I asked him, I said, who were these people? Like, what do we know about these people? I mean, these were, these were humans. They were yeah. like us. They, they had emotions. They had feelings. They were just like us, but they used flint rocks to clack together to make fire, and they made stone points out of church that they found. They were a little grittier than us. It, it, <laughs> so, but, and, and so... I asked him, you know, who are these people? And that's when he began to talk about how we do not know where they camped. And that's his biggest frustration, he told me. As he said, we were there. We know so much about this site. He said, we cannot for the life of us find find where they camped. Because yeah. they had to have camped close. And there could yeah. have been remnants of, of a camp there. But over that long, what's going to be left is right. the stone. And not the the baskets right. or the other things they might have had. And and I said this to Dr. Meltzer, and uh, I'm not sure if it was an offensive question to ask an archaeologist, <laughs> but I was like, I, I'm standing at the Folsom site, 
and you would have walked past it, and it looked like every other place. You you wouldn't have yeah. thought something special happened here. Yeah, looked like every other place. And by now, you know the excava- the second excavation by Meltzer was done, and you know it was over twenty years ago. So it just looked like a drainage, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I'm standing there, and I think, and I ask the guys I'm with, I'm like, how do we know there's not something incredible, twelve feet under the ground right there? <laughs> yeah. Nobody yeah. ever dug there. We don't. They literally yeah. dug up a spot about from, from this living room wall to probably the kitchen door oh, over there, out. which is about that thirty small? feet. I'm I'm telling that you, whole I, box I, canyon hasn't no been excavated. Way. No, what I, I could you know my measurements might be wrong, but I'm telling you, you could have shot a recurve bow wow. any side of that to the other one and could have. I would have thought something this important. They would have went way beyond the bounds. Yeah, wow, backhoe would have been in there. Well, no, you got to be careful I, yeah, because every time yeah, you excavate, you destroy. That, that's okay. The and this is when you learn about archaeology, which I'm doing now. You realize how it's like surgery. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying there's something wrong with this guy. Why don't you just go in and fix it? Well, it's not like I mean, these guys are like taking months and months to excavate like a small area. I mean, they're like removing. I mean, so it's I, I'd have been an excavator like back in George's time. Yeah. <laughs> Shave off the bison skull to fit it in the box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to catalog all kind of data points too before you can even remove the item. Right. I mean, it's, uh, you said that uh, the paleontologist got there first and was uh, concerned with the bones and everything. That's right. But then later the archaeologist came and they said that a lot of what the original excavation did, like, took no regard to uh, to humans. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were they were worried about the bones. Yeah. And so they weren't that concerned about anything else. And at the time they excavated it, you know, we didn't have the technology that we do now with radiocarbon dating and oh, I couldn't get into all the detail of what Meltzer studied. I mean, it was like deep. wildly deep stuff about yeah. the sedimentation, the sediment layers. They were able to take those 10,000-year-old bones and understand how long they were in the sun before they were covered with silt. Wow. That's crazy. Because the 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 decay, you know how a bone, like mm. if you had a deer yeah. bone yeah. out, you know, somewhere, wherever the sun was hitting, it would turn white. Exactly. Wherever yeah. it was touching the dirt, it would maintain its natural color. And they felt like with pretty quickly, like within a couple of years, that thing was silted over. Mm. And that's the reason it was preserved <laughs> yeah. for mm. 10,000 years. And then well, it was only uncovered once in recent times, like within the past hundred, what was it? Seventy years, years well, before Meltzer did was the first time. Or that was the excavation. Yeah, the and excavation. now they removed everything that they didn't leave anything in the ground. Yeah, yeah, on purpose. It, George McJunkin found a small section of bones. Yeah, yeah. You know, imagine a thirty-two bison killed right here, and there's a drainage right here. The new the flood pushed the cut bank of that drainage. You know. Imagine yeah, yeah. three or four feet this way. Yeah. Exposed these bones enough for George to be like, those are cool. Somebody needs to come down here and check <laughs> yeah. this out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then he dies. Nobody comes. Finally, they come. And then this guy named Carl Schwahim, who was a friend of George's, the, the museum hired him. He was just, he wasn't even an archaeologist. He was just a dude. And, All about who you know. Yeah. And they hired him <laughs> to get them a bison antiquous skull because by that time they'd been like hey those are that's bison antiquous that's yeah. pretty cool we need one of those they hired they hired carl carl goes in there starts digging carl finds a Folsom point which at the time wasn't a Folsom point 
he just finds a stone point. It's like, dudes, I found a sweet stone point. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool in Meltzer's book. He has Carl Schwahim's handwritten notes. Because oh, Carl was instructed cool. somehow to write notes of what he found every day. This is late 1800s? No, no. This would have been 1926 and 1927. Okay. Something like that. And and Carl it was a pretty good artist. And he drew in his notes a picture of the Folsom Point that he found. And it looks wow. just like it. Huh. That's and cool. He, so how big are these? They're not real big, man. The big ones are like three inches long. Probably that long. Is the, the stone that wide. they're made out of, is that native to... Exactly right there, or did it come from somewhere they made somewhere to one else? One Bear Grease podcast, and he didn't even listen to that one that good. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 we talked about it on the podcast, Rusty. They uh, it, they got that stone from Texas, 150 miles away in so Texas. So right? Oh, he did listen. Okay, you jogged my memory. But then wasn't Steve <laughs> saying, old, wasn't old. Steve saying that they were finding or you could find Folsom points? Throughout the West. That's right. That's up correct. Up north, far yeah. north. Absolutely. So those those people roamed. Well, or okay. at least shared technology. Or at least shared. Well. shared technology. It wouldn't have been necessarily those people, and the yeah. stone wouldn't have come from there. But that tech, that technology. What, what, that, what he was describing was that that technology, and we're calling technology the design of a point, yeah. was clearly connected to people that were connected to one another. Like, if you made a sure. Folsom point... And what's to me is so neat from a human perspective is that Folsom Point represents so much more than just a stone point to kill an animal. If if you're in Montana and I'm in New Mexico and we make the same stone point, I guarantee you we share the same value system. We probably shared the same understanding of who God is. We probably share the same value system of who how we hunt how we manage the land how we Live raise very our kids. similarly i mean there's just so much more that's transferred and what's so fascinating steve did such a cool job of bringing it out is that the stone point isn't necessarily i mean of all the things that could have been left the stone point just happens to be made of a material that is Basically, this just lasts. It was yeah. Sins. yeah. And so all the, everything else is gone. It's, we have a stone point. It's a shame that that's all we have because there's just like so many questions left unanswered, yeah. but it also makes it kind of fun. Oh, it's sweet. You get it's to a, dream up you your do, own yeah. scenario. Well, yeah, it's the symbology of it. Like we're yeah. looking at just a stone point and essentially writing a narrative. Well, trying to put together historical yes. context, but then building a narrative and trying to get, you know, an inference from this. And I was thinking about it. What you know, you're joking about your arrow, and you know someone to find exactly. ten thousand yeah, years. Yeah. But like, let's take the arrow out of it. What do we have that's that symbolic? Because like, as yeah. you're saying, those people are connected from that one point. What is something today that if someone found ten thousand years, would it even last? For one, yeah. would it make it there? But then, what is something that's that significant? Like, and why, I was trying to think about it. I don't know if there is something. Why like that. are people yeah. shooting expandable broadheads? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was I was wondering what the cutting diameter was on that Folsom point compared to your mega meat. You know, <laughs> how effective are we? They find that expandable, and they go, "These guys were real chumps. Low IQ." Hey, actually, Rusty, I have three expandables <clears throat> and three four four blade fixed heads in my quiver. Oh, and I've shot way more fixed blades over the last fifteen years than expandables. I'm proud of you. I know you did. No need to be proud. I just kill stuff and it dies. <laughs> um, no, what's so awesome, it's the mystery of this that is what 
makes it so unique. How did they kill these bison? We don't know. We wouldn't eat. I, I thought Steve's, I mean, this is what Steve's good at is like the idea that this was just a snapshot of time. Yeah. And trying to understand if this was a big deal or if it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Was this another day? Was, it or was, yeah. this, like a was this just a normal a, day? Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, we need to go get our meat harvest yeah. for the next three weeks. Let's go get them. Yeah. Or, or were they it, talking about it for years? Or did they talk come. about it for the rest of their this lives? This is the pictograph on every wall in New Mexico is this bison hunt. Incredible. Yeah, it makes me think, like, how much of that got, like, when that flood came, how much of that stuff is gone four or 500 yards down further? You know, yeah. So many of those, you know, bones. That and- brings up a good question of mine that I had, or my major question of the pivotal point is: there's so many different weather events and different climate changes in the past ten thousand years. I'm wondering if some kind of weather event maybe artificially moved them together, the site, or maybe the erosion and then the covering, the erosion. How many cycles of that occurred over ten thousand years, and how that may have affected the site? Uh, there, there's just a lot of questions that I have that I don't I, I don't know if we'll ever know. Well, see, we we do we do At, like with with the certainty that with the highest level of scientific certainty, what they did when they went back seventy years later at Folsom. Yeah. If you if you read that textbook that full that 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 dr Meltzer I'm gonna wrote. Have to between now. your law books yeah, yeah between all the law books no that's that's exactly what they went back to understand was yeah. the, the they call it uh the paleogeography which is what was the geography of the land uh paleo what is it paleotopography which is the the geology of the land throughout the time period because the geology's changed but also the i think he called it the the stratigraphy of the land, which is the stratification of yeah. it, they're able to basically tell by the deposition and the layers that this this was not moved here by erosion. Number one, and it, he he went on and on, and I asked him, and and I just clipped out these you know kind of highlight points. Yeah. But I mean, what what they do, what archaeologists do, is determine that this happened culturally, not by the events of the natural world, like pushing this stuff together, because that could happen. Like, uh, for example, you know, you could have a bison kill down three or four feet below the surface and have gophers digging holes and burrows down there and knocking a stone point from the surface down there and falling. Then you find a bison kill with a stone point there, Mm. and you go, holy cow, (laughs) you know, they're the Mm. same. Man, these boys make a living making sure that is not the case. And there's a phrase they use called NC2, which means in place. I don't know. It's probably French for in place. Why we're using <laughs> French words, I don't know. But <laughs> basically, when they found that point, that Folsom point in between two ribs, it wasn't stuck in a rib. Yep. I it thought it was stuck. Purpose. Half the time I researched this, I thought they were saying it was stuck in a rib. And it was not. It was laid in between two ribs. And there's an iconic photo, and I'll put it on my Instagram, of two ribs. And you know how you, we've all probably found arrowheads in the ground Mm -hmm. when you just see half of it sticking up and you're like that's in c2 yeah (laughs) and (laughs) i say it every time yeah and this was that and then they found so many there was so many data points they can i think they can understand the flaking on a point to understand how old it is so like Uh these bones are 10 that radiocarbon date ten thousand years 
these flakes, you know, the, the, the stone points come back as being verified of being that old. So it's like everything there, the sediment was that, it's like no question. So it's pretty settled. A, oh, it's 100% settled. Wow. See, what I feel for Dr. Meltzer, though, is the <clears throat> various degrees of quality control throughout this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he has a historical context and he can put this together, but he talked about like, you know, the archaeologist from the paleontologist, but then even the way they mapped it. Yeah. It yeah. would be nice if he could just go and do it, like, you know, and get the yeah. full picture. Cause like, how tough is that knowing someone? And I was thinking about that. Like people are trying to shoot holes saying that pe- humans haven't, or people haven't been around right, for right. 10,000 years. And it's like, you could look and be like, that's not a credible source. He could have dropped that there, planted it, lied, whatever. Yeah, Man, it would be tough to try to figure this out using no or knowing that folks who don't know as much as you do now because we've progressed and we yeah. have better technology yeah. kind of just went through and dug up some bones yeah and you got to take that into account when you're trying to draw a conclusion from all this like yeah it's, it's like going to a be crime scene that another detective has already ramsacked yes and yeah trying to figure out 70 years later well, but what and just to clarify the the whole conversation Meltzer, the it was long time ago established that this site was legitimate yeah. in 1928. Yeah. When those guys were like this, I mean the, the, the leading archeologists in North America came and said, this is legit. There's no way to argue this. This is real. Humans killed bison and tickless before and the bison second and excavation. Absolutely. Okay. So that was never in question when Meltzer went back. Oh. Meltzer went back to discover a whole lot of other questions that they had. Okay. okay. So that was never in question. But, um, and there's a, oh man, a bunch of Meltzer's textbook is about all the drama with that. Yeah. And, and it was really informative because you see, it's good. Like archaeology is highly scrutinized. Like they don't just, you don't just roll up and find a point and be like, yeah, we've been here for 300,000 years. And then everybody <laughs> believes it. Yeah. Like highly scrutinized. But what was interesting to me is that it was clear that it was highly influenced by human ego. I mean, he wrote about it. He, he was like, this guy didn't like this guy and he was trying to discredit it for no good reason. And so there's that going on. Yeah. Like these leading archaeologists, you know, like trying to, discredit someone because they didn't find it. Or, yeah. So there was some of that going on, but this was so clear cut that like everybody, huh. the, 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 the leading archeologist at the time, I can't remember his last name. Maybe it was Brown within a week of him being at Folsom. He went out and he actually took the, one of the big full points and he was a big enough wig that he was able to just say, I'm taking that with me. Oh. And he took it to all his lectures, and he said, man has been in North America for 10,000 years. Don't lose that one. And when he said that, it was like My no dream. one was going to argue with this guy. But it was groundbreaking, yeah. shattered. And, and what I'm going to talk about in podcast number three is it shattered people's idea of life on planet Earth. Yeah. I mean, like we thought humans had been in North America for 3,000 years. And all of a sudden, we've been here for 10,000. It kind of like destabilized people. So (laughs) when you showed up to this site, you know, some places that you show up with historical significance or or what have you, you you just like there's an aura about it. You like get chills. It's kind of just like an experience to be there. Yeah. Was Folsom that way for you? It was really neat 
being there. I can't say that, uh, I mean, it was kind of an academic experience in some ways, just, uh, just going there and seeing it and trying to understand what happened and then being there with the experts and stuff. But I, I'd be lying if I said it was, if, if it was sure. totally like yep. that for me. Yep. Now, when I come back and I really study it and kind of put it together afterwards, <clears throat> it is a hundred percent. I wouldn't say that when I was there, it was like that. Sure. Well, but when I asked him about that the other day, we were driving in the truck. He was like, it looked like that. He pointed <laughs> out the window. He said, it could be, it doesn't look the same. It, it's not the way it was. It, so, and that's true. It doesn't, it's, it does not look like a box canyon anymore. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. It just, I mean, it just, it looks like a, just looks like a drainage. And gotcha. by drainage, I mean like, like probably like 10 foot down. If you were standing in the bottom of it, the, stream bed would be like four or five feet wide and there'd gotcha. be wow. banks what? going up this way and this way and it just kind of it, it kind of goes up just a little bit and then flattens out but it, oh it, i imagine t- like these plateau walls and no huh. yeah, I it, it was it was not it was a indescript place interesting wow. but it, the box canyon and i i, I don't fully understand how they understood what it looked like back yeah then, but yeah. they but they did and uh yeah you'd walk right past it not well think. eric siegfried was drawing double maps like a hundred years before he came out with the onyx hunt app he mm-hmm. just didn't know about it so it would say that again <laughs> that joke went right over my head yeah. <laughs> the onyx founder i was just joking that he had that box canyon mapped out so <laughs> that's that's how <laughs> okay. they knew that was a nerdy onyx joke got it super yeah, nerdy yeah, onyx yeah, there joke. You go. it also makes you wonder What's hiding under completely ordinary places just all around us? Totally. I mean, that was what I—that was what I said. How much of planet Earth has been explored by an archaeologist to this detail? Yeah, you know, very, very. Slim. I like that it's that way. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I don't want to know everything. Yeah, I want there to be mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what what is so hard for us to understand when you look back at human history in like the fulsome people, as we define the fulsome people as being defined by this technology of the points that they used, they were around for about a thousand years. The fulsome points were in fashion for a thousand years. That seems like when I say that, does that sound like a long time or a short time? Insanely sounds long like time. a long time. Yeah, yeah. does it? I, like I'm sitting here. I was just thinking about like ten thousand years. I, that's not even really comprehensible for right. me. Yes. A thousand years is still like, holy, like still kind of incomprehensible. So here's my, here's my point about how we live in this. We live in the most bizarre, bizarre human experience of humans that have ever lived on planet Earth. I'd agree. I mean, for a hundred years, we've been using fossil fuels and driving trucks and cars, having electricity, <laughs> having the technology to be able to have a conversation. This would have been supernatural stuff to a Folsom hunter if we could say there will be people that will listen to this conversation in the future. They would be like, what kind of witch doctor are you, man? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, we live in such a bizarre human experience yeah. that we think that we're normal mm-hmm. and that we think that this is normal. This is not normal to humans, yeah. at no. least if we look back at human history. And we're so stinking arrogant thinking, and I'm talking like as, a, as, a, as mankind, to think that we know everything and that everything is tame and that everything is discovered and that everything is understood Yeah, because science, that technology and science has just skyrocketed. You know, I mean, if, if human growth. knowledge was on a 
graph. Yeah. It would be a J curve, you know, starting about yes. 200 years ago. And it would have got steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper the last 50 years. And then you hit the it's internet crazy. and it like becomes a roller coaster and you do a 360. It goes backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much we don't know and we'll never know. And there's so much yet to be discovered. I mean, it, it, this stuff like this, I think, is designed to keep us humble. Yeah. And yeah, they were using that so, point for a thousand years, and I'd switch broadheads halfway through season sometimes. <laughs> 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 the reign of the expandable head will be about 30 years. Did uh, you get to hold the Folsom point? Yeah. I, I, did, I mean, not the ones they found. Okay. So that was something I asked Dr. Meltzer. Is like, where is all this stuff? Yeah. Like, where are the bison? Where are the Folsom points? And they're scattered around. You know I mean? It was a hundred, almost 100 years ago. Yeah. And... Uh, Things were way different back then when they excavated most of that stuff out. For instance, this bigwig archaeologist just carried a point with him, and they found it, as I understand it, they found it in his desk drawer after he died. Wow. Like, whenever he passed away. So, like, he had just, like, kept it in his, like, personal collection. And this is, like, a, a really... Incredible point that, that you know, should be in a museum. Pivotal or something. Yeah. human history. And he's got it in his desk, you know, and yeah. they found it. So they, they still, some of the points are unaccounted for. Hmm. Whoa, really? So really? In, in I'm using Dr. one on this hunt right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you get that false point? <laughs> now, Dr. Meltzer has in his, in his textbook, he, they have a graphic that shows every single point they found, the front and the back. So there'll be two images, sure. the front and the back. I mean, so they documented every single one they found. And as I understand it, well, maybe the they don't have documented the ones that were lost. I think they documented 16, but they said there was 20. Okay. And so there's four that are still, like, probably in, got in, in the wash, you know. Somebody probably washed it. Storage wars and their start, wife threw it away. Start buying uh, those old storage units. Never know. But, so, <laughs> but there are fulsome points, real fulsome points, in a lot of places. I mean, sure. I, I I couldn't, I wouldn't even know where to start to tell you like how many we have, but I mean, for sure, thousands and you could find one today. We were at a farm in Nebraska a couple of weeks ago and the farmer shows Steve Rennell and I his collection and he's got half a Folsom point that he found on his farm in Nebraska. Wow. Mm -hmm. huh. So, I mean, it's not, it's very uncommon, but at the same time. They're, They're around. around. They're around, yeah. So when I was at the Folsom Museum, which if you ever go in that part of the world, you got to go there. It's really cool. Um, it's just like this old time. It's not like, you know, it's the kind of museum you can go in and pick stuff up. Mm. Oh, whoa. You know? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so there's this case of Folsom points, oh. and I'm like, can I open that? What? And there, it was like, sure. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to post a, I'll post a video at some point of me holding a Folsom point. And, um, yeah, so they're around. My kind of museum. Yeah, yeah, hmm. they're around. But uh, we will nerd out on the technology of the Folsom Point on the fourth episode. You guys do some kinetic energy testing and stuff? Oh, man. I, I talked to the, it, as my understanding goes, the nation's leading expert on atlatls. He he did his PhD on atlatls. <laughs> and he, uh, he went into detail on... Uh, on why they use that, why that technology, the Folsom point was so good. I'm but, excited for that one. Yeah, it's 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 really neat. It's, I I just again like I'm that one's very interesting to me because I mean I've I've shot enough critters with 
you know, a compound bow pulling 70 pounds, bet you get three inches of penetration when you hit a, you know, some bone inside of a whitetail. Yeah. Like, the fact that these people were hand-sharpening rocks, fixing them to a wooden arrow of some sort with what, like, cattail fibers or something? I'm just making stuff (laughs) up at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then hucking them, presumably, out of an atlatl, and they were able to kill 1,000-pound animals that way? A bunch of them. That is insanity to me. Yeah, yeah. Thus, I would like a YouTube demonstration with you and an atlatl and a Folsom point. That's a good idea. Much There's quite a bit more to come. We're only halfway through the series, so there's two more full podcasts. And the things, the things that the guys bring up next time, I think, are just as intriguing as this first one. Huh. What's interesting, too, is that this isn't the only one we have. I mean, there's other really unique sites. Um, the Clovis site. The Clovis site was basically a similar thing, but it was a mammoth kill. Wasn't really? that also in New Mexico? Wow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was the same story. Except it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the same story. Mammoth is huge. What, George McJunkin did. What if, you George, know what? what if George McJunkin had ridden his horse down there and found that too? <laughs> hey, boys, there's another one down there about 400 <laughs> miles. You might want to check it out. I believe it's a mammoth. What, George? Well, it's been super fun sharing camp with all you guys. Yeah. It really has. Absolutely. We, man, for having such a crummy week of deer hunting, we really have had a great time. It's been a blast. I hope some of the group text comes out on the Meteor episode because the people deserve to see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, I hope Rusty wins this contest with a big. If you kill a big buck tomorrow, that beats a doe and a rabbit. <laughs> Do y'all guys agree? I, I think you'll agree. I think you would see. just take hey, the slight edge. What you don't know is that me and Justin Michaud think that that buck might end up on our side of the road tomorrow. Hey, oh, wouldn't that be something? It could. There's a big old rub right behind our tree stand, and I can see. I'm sure he's working that entire area. I really area. think it was him. I mean, how many bucks are going to be rubbing on trees that big? That's probably him. It really is probably him. Now, yeah. whether he's there in the evening, I don't know. Right. I hope he comes to you because I don't want to kill him. <laughs> yeah, you do. Well. <laughs> okay, you're right. I you, you would love to kill this buck. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's it's uh, it's been really fun sharing a camp with, with Jared and Zach. You know, yeah. I've yeah. known you guys, but this is the first time we really spent much time together. So it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yes, it has. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this hunt all year, and even though it's it's been tough hunting, yeah, as I said, it's it's gonna be a highlight of my fall. Good, no doubt about it. Good, yep. Rustin, keep studying, man. Oh yeah, I got finals next week. So. Ooh, that's awesome. So, near here, nitty gritty. Awesome. What's the game really? plan for the morning? Yeah. Give it. Give us the sixty second spiel on how you're gonna kill this buck in the bottom of the night. One day. Okay. So, <laughs> buckle up. Rusty's gonna I'm get going to get sick and throw I'm, up. I've made the decision. I'm going to hunt where in we hunted morning. this evening in the morning. Against, we're, we're my, gonna, against my. Against, against your advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to slip in there. We'll probably stay in there a couple hours. I know you're we'll, getting up early. And, yeah. <laughs> Be up at one o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we'll come back here. And we're really going to think it over really hard. And then we're going to go back right in the middle of the day. And we're going to look at this spot really hard. And I'm going to pick me a tree and I'm going to kill that buck. All right. Sounds like a plan. It's pretty simple. It's just that simple. It's that simple. Just taking us to class. Good. So I've been full drawing twice. If I come to full draw the third time. Great idea. Fantastic idea. What's that? 
a decoy lowered out of your stand right at dark. <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to put a decoy out there throughout the whole day because no. it would mess up all the does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need all the does to come by you. You've got a decoy in the stand. You assemble it in the stand, put an eye hook right through its back, I- and then about... 30 minutes before dark, you lower it to the ground right underneath your tree. <laughs> and then <laughs> buck decoy or doe decoy? Buck, buck decoy. decoy. And then for the last buck 30 decoy. minutes. So, hey, when that buck came out, he walked straight to, to that, six point. that six point and he nudged him. Wow. Really? Yeah, he didn't really get aggressive with him, but he just reached over and Let he nudged him. Is this not the we greatest better, We better get driving to the nearest. That would work, Clay. They buck will put my store. name in whitetail books. <laughs> 50 years from now because yeah. of this. 10,000 years from now. Lower the decoy out of the tree. That will work. Yeah. And they'll, that, find that, they'll find my point up well, on that mountain. Well, doesn't need to sleep tonight anyway. And they'll be like, anyway. man, this guy, he must have, wow. Get he driving beyond the, his time. Drive into the closest 24-hour <laughs> Bass Pro, and you better go get you a decoy. Uh, <laughs> the one thing that they'll find 10,000 years from now that will survive is that buck with the J-hook in the back. The they're they're going to make all kind of cur- cultural yeah, assumptions. <laughs> like, find. man, these dudes are crazy. Now, the ones that I'm going to make, the Nukem lowerable uh, – decoys yeah. you're gonna have a stone point that oh, you run boy. your rope through that's stuck in the dude's back there you go you yeah, gonna, you better make the Not you know the, the bones you, you better you know fabricate some good stuff to stick that yeah just to mess with the anthropologist thanks a ton guys it's been a pleasure Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule, and it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com Grease.